Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Christos Barjanis, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Scranton, Kenya School of Management in Pennsylvania. He makes quite an interesting argument at explaining why we are seeing a reduction in the minimum wage. And he very nicely ties it with what's going on with education. I will let him explain. In addition, we get to talk about the impact of lower taxes, a topic of interesting context for the time being. Uh, we also talk about the classes he teaches at Scranton, along with the impact of monetary policy. I start by asking him about the demand for skilled labor and what his views are on this particular topic. So, economists believe that there was, there should have been an increase in the demand for skilled labor. And now there is important theories of explaining why there is this increase in the demand of skilled labor. One of the most important developed by Asimoglu is that there is skilled bias technical change. That because of technological progress, uh, we, the productivity increases, but increases mainly for skilled workers. That's one explanation. The other explanation is because there is more trade, more globalization. The United States specializes and produces more goods that require skilled labor. As a result, the demand for skilled labor increased, and therefore the relative wage increased. I developed, when I was doing my PhD, uh, I finished it like six years ago, I developed a new theory. I said that the relative demand for skilled labor increased as their proportion increased because skilled workers, college graduates, became more politically powerful. As their number increases, their importance in the political process is much higher. So politicians will pay more attention to them. And of course, what did they want? Of course, they wanted to make more money. One way to do this is by changing, changing economic policy. So after the 80s, we saw a decrease in the tax rate during the Ronald Reagan period, an increase, a decrease in the minimum wage, because that's something that benefits college graduates. They don't want high minimum wage. They want it as low as possible. And other policies like labor unions became less less important and so on and so on so in my according to my theory is the political process and through the political process there was a change in the demand for skilled labor so um, of course that was a theory i had to test this theory so, so christos, to, uh, christos i'm yes. sorry just to make sure i understand here so you're basically linking the level of education, which we always knew that, you know, the more money you make, you know, the, 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 the more educated you are, the more money you make. But here you're making a case having to do with the fact that these people are highly educated. They will influence policies. Yes. Yes. Will Bennett. Okay. That's okay. Very good. I got you. So if I have, for example, let, let me give you an example. Yeah. If, if your level, of, if, if the average level of education or the level of education in the majority of the population is low, then these people 
probably need protection from the government. They want high minimum wage because many of them will earn the minimum wage, so they would like it to be as high as possible. They want strong labor unions because their jobs depend on strong labor unions. They want high tax rates for the rich so that they can have low tax rates and so on. As the majority becomes college graduates, they don't want these policies anymore. They want they don't like labor unions because maybe they cannot benefit from them. They want lower taxes for the more wealthy because now they are more wealthy and so on. So policies are determined by people and as the people change, they want different policies. Okay. So in order to, to return to what I was uh, telling before, mm -hmm. so, as, uh, so in order to prove this empirically, I had to show that education, an increase in the level of education, a change in the level of education will change economic policies. So there is empirical, so I, before I start, of course, I search the literature to see if there is something similar. There was some research explaining that more education leads to more democracy because the more educated people work, want democracy and that's the reason. Mm -hmm. More education leads to less corruption because people with more education want less corrupt uh, uh, public sector in order to do their businesses, their business more easily. But there was nothing about other policies. So I tried to look at different other policies and I realized that there is a causal effect on, of education on the minimum wage. So an increase in the level of education, as was the case in the United States the last 30, 40 years, reduced the real value of the minimum wage. And minimum wage is one of the policies that really affect uh, college graduates, because college graduates employ in their businesses low-skill workers. So if the minimum wage decreases, they're going to pay less to them. So they're going to get to keep more of the profits, for example. Hmm. Well, this is the background of, of the research. Okay. And, and again, the, the, the paper that you cited in the beginning by DiNardo uh, uh, and the co-authors, mm -hmm. so the, the main argument there was that because I, I described you some of the theories that explain the evolution of wage inequality in the United States. According to them, DiNardo and the co-authors, uh, the minimum wage was m the main uh, reason why, the, 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 why wage inequality increased during the 80s. Because the other two explanations, the skill bias technical change or the trade explanation, the international trade explanation, there is no evidence for this. Uh, explanations that really affected wage inequality. There's no real evidence. So Dinardo and Cothers were the first one to show that there is evidence that the minimum wage, the decline in the minimum wage during the 80s significantly increased wage inequality. So by explaining that, saying that, or showing that education affects the minimum wage, I show indirectly what is the reason uh, why wage inequality increased. It's because the level of education changed the political scene in the United States. As a result, policies changed, and this increased inequality. I guess if you're impacting the minimum wage, you're basically um, you are gaining away from a more capitalistic society, I guess, um, uh, in a sense that you're forcing something that may not be naturally induced by market forces. It's, I mean, that's what the... the the original, I mean, the 1996 book by Di Nardo seems to be implying. Yes. So minimum wage means that I, we intervene 
and we do not allow the markets to determine wages. Sure. So a minimum wage is a price floor. It's a wage above the equilibrium wage to help some people that receive a lot of that receive very low wages because the government believes that they cannot survive with these low wages. So that's why the minimum wage to help those people. But this this, this is a distortion for 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 the economy because mm -hmm. prices are too high and this creates other issues. So what happens is that when the minimum wage decreases, then there is more people that receive the equilibrium wage. So the market functions uh, better in that way. Mm -hmm. And you're basically saying that we're getting away from this, I guess, model uh, every day a little bit as we have a, a higher educated workforce. That's yes. Getting away, pushing away from that. Okay. Right. Exactly. Mm. Right. Because uh, because again, as as the the level of education increases, fewer and fewer people need this support by the government. That's the reason. So how do you? How do you prove that? How do you show that? Right. Yeah, so first there is a correlation between education and the minimum wage. It's that very straightforward. You show the data, education over time, minimum wage over time. So in the paper I show that education between 1980 or between 1970 and 2000, 2010, the proportion of college graduates increased from eight seven uh, percent or ten percent to 25 or 30 percent today and at the same time the minimum wage the real value of the minimum wage decreased from almost ten dollars to seven and a half dollars so that's one way you show that there is clearly a negative correlation between the two an increase in education decreases the real value of the minimum wage of course this, this doesn't mean causality okay so that's not evidence that indeed education affect the minimum wage. I mean, it, could it, could have been just, it could have been just a coincidence as well, that's what you mean. Right. Yeah. It could be that minimum wage affects education, right. or it could be a coincidence, a third variable that affects both education and the minimum wage. So it can be pretty much everything. So in my previous paper, 2015-2016 paper, I addressed some, uh, some of these issues. So I used the, the two stages least square, or the instrumented variable, uh, variables approach. This controls for reverse causality, so saying that the minimum wage affects education. It controls for third, other variables, missing variables or omitted variables that may affect both of them. So it controls for everything and it shows that it needs to be, it, it has to be educated to affect the minimum wage. How do we do that? By using an instrument for education, for the current level of education. This instrument was education 50, 60, 70 years ago. And education in 1940 and education in 1960. Because, so because the problem was that, first, to show that the minimum wage does not, does not affect education. If instead of education, now we use education in 1940 then of course we know that education did not the minimum wage today did not affect education in 1940 of course it does so that's one and second we know that there is not that there isn't an omitted variable that affects both because it cannot you cannot have a variable that affects education in 1940 so that's one technique that it is the most popular in econometrics 
as long as you can find a valid instrument. Okay, the valid instrument is an instrument that will affect education today and will only affect the minimum wage through education today, but not directly. So education in 1940 clearly affects education today. Okay, there is persistence in, in the level of education. And of course, clearly, you, no one can argue that education in 1940 affects the minimum wage today. So because both of those requirements are, are fulfilled, we can say with certainty that this is a valid instrument. So that's, that's one technique. The problem with this technique is that sometimes there is, because that's a cross-state analysis. Uh, so I examine what happens across the U.S. states, the 50 states. Now, the problem with this technique is, is that sometimes there is state-specific characteristics that stay constant over time and may affect both education and the minimum wage, both 70, 80 years ago and today. Now, for this, I need to use fixed effect analysis. That's another econometric technique. Unfortunately, I didn't have the data to do that. So that was a problem with my previous paper. I, I couldn't control for this kind of fixed effect. And that's what I correct in my new paper. By using the, general, the generalized method, method of moments, the GMM technique, mm -hmm. more specifically system GMM technique, I'm able to control for this state-specific fixed effect. I see. And where, where is, I mean, the, the, G, the, your, the system GMM regressions that you're mentioning, what, what, what's in it? What, what populates the... Right. So the idea here is that, so the, the, instrumental, the instrumental variables approach uses, it's a cross-section analysis. Uses for a specific year, minimum wage across states, education across states, and other variables across states. And we use... We have the regression and we get our results. It does not uh, use time component. So it doesn't use the data over time. The system GMM is able to do that. So what we do here is we have a panel data. Panel data means both cross-section and time series, which means more observations. So in the United States, we have 50 states. When we use one year, we have 50 observations. If we have seven periods, that's seven times five, this is 350 observations. That's much more data, so more accurate analysis. So the system GMM is a panel data that ex again examines the effect of education on the minimum wage and uses automatically so in, in, the, in the instrumental variable approach, we need to choose what the instrument will be. And we choose, I chose in my previous paper, education 50, 60 years ago. The system GMM uh, con, uh, chooses automatically the instruments. And the instruments, in fact, are past observations of the minimum wage of education and differences between education over two consecutive periods or the minimum wage over two consecutive periods. So that's a very sophisticated technique that automatically chooses the instrument. And it is shown by uh, researchers that not only controls for endogeneity, which also the instrumental variable does, also controls for fixed effects. 
something that I couldn't do with my previous approach. And also to add uh, something else, another component is that, and another importance of this method is that it uses all the variation, the cross-section variation, and the time component of variation. So we really take advantage of all the information that we can get from this data. Okay, so you have your 200 or so observation under the, C, um, the SGMM, and it tells you, it, it shows causality, it shows a correlation, and it, and it, yes. and it, it verifies it, it quantifies it for you. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, uh, the, the results show that any result, that, that's a causal effect. First, because of the methods that I use, I know that that's a causal effect. And the actual effect is, so I used, I used two methods. The system GMM is the, the, the best one. Okay, the first uh, method is the first difference GMM. There are some issues. It is helpful, but it does not uh, use all the variation that is available in the data. So the, precise, the, the actual estimate is the right one in the system GMM estimator. So the, the actual result that I find, I find is that the proportion of college graduates uh, implies a 0.4 to 0.5 percentage decrease in the real value of the minimum wage. So one percentage point increase in the proportion of college graduates means 0.4 to 0.5 decrease in the real value of the minimum wage. Uh, that's the result and it's highly statistically significant, statistically significant at the 1% level which means it's 99% accurate. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and the magnitude of the result, so not only is statistically significant, but the magnitude of the result implies that this, that, the, that education, even though I'm not claiming that it can explain the whole change in the real value of the minimum wage, but it, it turns out that it explains a very big part of it. So. Assume that, for example, that education in the last 30 years increased by 20 percentage points. 20 percentage points means that 0.5 percent per point uh, means that minimum wage you will have to, to decrease by 10 percent. The actual decrease in the minimum wage was around 20 percent during this period of time. So it explains half of the decrease in the real value of the minimum wage. Of course, there's other variables, other factors that may influence the minimum wage. But education alone can explain half of it, which is a really important result. So, you know, okay, so there is a link, but then, then you're saying, you explain that link by essentially saying that, well, because they're all highly educated, you, you infer that if you're a highly educated person, you will tend to want to want lower wages or, or just right. prove right. Uh, so you're inferring that, that part though, that, that. Uh, yes, yes, because, right. So that makes sense. How, that how, makes how, sense. How, how, how the level of education affects the minimum wage? So the theory, because first you, you develop the theory, but that's of course a, a hypothesis. Of course. It, it, it could be something else, but that's what I believe is, is the, the reason, is 
through the political process is what people want, that's what politicians give. Otherwise, I cannot find any other channel through which the level of education can affect the minimum wage because people, the level of education is, is decided by people, by young uh, people that decide to go to college or not, or their parents, and the minimum wage is determined by the government. So mm -hmm. what kind of connection there, there would be? The political process. People elect the government, elect the, the senators, the representatives. So that's what I can find. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so let's, uh, let's say that is true and it makes uh, total sense. I'm sure we, if we were to, to dig, we could find recordings of, well, obviously all the people that are making policies are highly educated, so that, that, that would make sense. But then, so how do, we, how do we use this? What does this mean now if you're going forward? How does this help you? Um, I was saying that the minimum wages are in trouble, uh, that uh, they are bound to keep... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, so, so the first uh, important implication of this, of this finding is that... I, I, so I'm going to repeat quickly what I, I said in the beginning. But the reason behind, behind this analysis is that we try to explain why inequality increased. This, to some extent, explains that inequality increased not because there is something necessarily something wrong in the U.S. economy. It's because the structure of the economy has changed. There is different people that live, more skilled workers, more. So this different composition in the economy will have a, a result to, to, to the level of inequality. That's one. The second is that So minimum wage is kind of social policy that affects the poor, that affects... So the fact that yes. it goes down means that some people will lose from that. So there, there is losers. Those who receive the minimum wage, they're going to become poorer. And, and something else now I have to add to this. Uh, there is significant research trying to connect the minimum wage with unemployment. Some economists believe that higher minimum wage means higher unemployment. Because some people, some firms will not hire some low, some unskilled workers because they are too expensive because of the high minimum wage. When the minimum wage decreases, it's easier for unskilled workers to find a job. Other researchers believe that there is not significant uh, correlation between the two. But in any case, a decrease in the minimum wage increases in general uh, the level of employment. That's one thing. The second is that those who want lower minimum wage educated doesn't mean that they necessarily they necessarily don't care for the unskilled workers. So the government can find another way to help those people. What educated people want is lower minimum wage because this makes jobs, this makes businesses more efficient. So they 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 argue that. We should not distort businesses and the, the, the economy in order to help the unskilled. There might be a better way to help them, like with tax uh, credits or other tax cuts or welfare programs maybe, but not through the minimum wage. Because through the minimum wage is a, is a policy designed by the government to help the poor that businesses pay. And that's not fair. Mm -hmm. If they want to help the poor, then there should be a policy that will affect all Americans, not only those who own businesses, for example. 
So there is other ways to do that. Okay, so, so I want to, to emphasize that, that, that the educated people, it's not that they don't care for the unskilled and they, want, they don't care about them and they don't want to help them. They believe, most of them, that there should be other ways that do not create deadweight losses and they do not create inefficiencies in the economy. Christos, you mentioned uh, uh, something interesting having to do with taxes. And as you know, this is something that's uh, going on right now uh, yeah. with the government. And, and, and my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but I mean, while theoretically it would make sense that if you, uh, you know, lower taxes, uh, you would be able to spur the economy, it would appear that in practice, it doesn't really happen. What are your views, just on the, maybe we could do another podcast on that later on, but <laughs> what are your views on, on the taxes? Do you think that if uh, we lower taxes, this is going to spur the economy, even though we could have an increase in, a uh, huge increase in the deficit? Right. So uh, when taxes go down, there's one good thing and one bad thing. The good thing is that, of course, profits after taxes will increase. This means the return to investments in general in the United States will increase. Okay, that's a good thing. There's going to be more investment. That's good for growth, of course, and so on. The bad thing is that the deficit and the debt will increase, and we need to pay for our debt. So if we do that and the deficit increases, the debt increases, this means that we expect greater taxes in the future and businesses know that i see so, so that's why they are not going to respond to that so if the tax rate goes down now and businesses know that the deficit will increase and in two or three or four years they're going to have to increase taxes again to pay for the debt and the deficit they're not going to invest more and this will increase the instability in the economy because you don't want to do something that it will create a problem in the future. You want to do something to reduce the tax if you know that in the future this is not going to change. If you do something now to change in the future, this is going to be bad in the end. Not, it's not going to have any positive effect. So if they can find a way to reduce taxes and with other economic policies, guarantee that this is not going to affect the deficit in the, in the future, and uh, there's not going to be a need to increase taxes again in the future, then yes, they should do it. Of course, it's beneficial. Mm -hmm. But saying that I will reduce taxes and growth will explode, and we, we are, this doesn't work. So mm -hmm. if you reduce taxes, you need to cut spending as well. Can they do that? If they cannot do that, it's, 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 it, I don't think it's going to work, even though it's a good policy. But when it's done correctly... Um, I'd like to uh, maybe end the, the, the podcast with a little bit about, uh, you know, about you uh, specifically in terms of, uh, so you, you're teaching uh, at the Scranton University in the uh, School of Management, uh, and you're teaching, um, uh, obviously, economics um, yes. topics. What are some of the classes that you're teaching, and what, what do you... What, uh, I guess, uh, what, what, what can you tell students that are interested in studying that, that field? And what, what, do you, what do you advise? I mean, first of all, what are some of the courses that you're teaching and uh, maybe some feedback? Yeah, so, so I, teach, I teach principles of economics, micro and macroeconomics. 
I teach uh, current economic issues, which is economics for non-business majors. I teach international business and intermediate microeconomics. So, uh, yeah, you have a question? Yeah, well, the question is, when do, do you, <clears throat> how does, how do students react? Uh, you know, what are some of the feedback that you get from them when you tell yeah. them, when you, when you explain to them some of your views or um, yeah. do they, are they concerned about the future? Do you, I mean, obviously yeah, yeah. in class, you'll have some students that you really want to ask the right questions. And from those students, mm -hmm. what type of um, interaction yeah, so, are you getting? So students, it's, it's politics and science. I try to explain them that it's different to have positive analysis, which means explain scientifically the facts, and different to have political views, which is normative analysis, what should or should not, what the government should and should not do, whether the taxes should increase or decrease, whether spending should increase or decrease. I try to explain on that there is positive analysis. So we say, if taxes increase, this is going to happen. If spending increases, this is going to happen. And they, I try to tell them to try to think critically, try to set their political views aside and try to understand the argument. And then, of course, their opinion will matter in order to, because all of this is statements that someone in the future can prove wrong. Okay, so this is, this is what science is. Now, there is research that supports all these arguments, but in the future, they, they, they could be wrong, some of them. So some students, okay, they are young, they are not familiar with economics and how this works, and they want to react and say, no, this is not correct, this is not, this doesn't make sense. But believe me, all of them, in the end, agree with me. So when I explain and I present the argument and what is behind the whole theory, uh, they are very open-minded and, and they really uh, understand what I'm talking about. That's good. That's good. I mean, that's always good. Uh, yeah, some, I'm glad. Some interesting feedback. And, and you're right. Uh, you know, I've done similar, you know, I mean, discussion on the finance side. And sometimes it's tough to get away from politics. And uh, yeah, and it and it's uh, when they get pretty excited about it sometimes, uh, and uh, they want to um, make a, a good point. So um, I want to thank you, uh, Christos, on this discussion. At some point, I think it would probably make sense to have, uh, obviously, a discussion on what's going on, especially with your comments, not specifically on, on, on your research, but maybe what you, uh, what you see, what's going on, especially with, with the tax situation and whatever ends up happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and even potentially, I was thinking uh, also the discussion on uh, some of the Fed and some of the actions that they've taken in the past, specifically you know, pertaining to the 2008 uh, crisis and where I believe current accounts might have induced, because um, we're still, still trying to figure out exactly what caused the 2008 uh, crisis. Uh, was it the current account? Was it low interest rate? Was it Fed actions? Um, so um, maybe at some point we, uh, we get to talk about it again. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you very thank much. Thank you very much, Christos, and uh, thank you. Thanks, Patrick.